Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. It's good to see all of you today. Uh, Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord God, we are coming before you today as a church, as a family. And God, we, we want to worship you today in spirit and in truth, God. We don't want to be lukewarm today. We don't want to be cold today. We want to be hot today. We want to be all in for you because you're all in for us. Because you love us with all of your heart, God. And you showed that to us through your son, Jesus. God, I pray that we would be in the spirit today. God, that we would be listening to you. We would listen to you, that we would obey you. God, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you. So God, with all that's going on in the world, all that's going on in our lives, please keep our minds focused on you, Lord, because that's where our peace comes from. God, we love you. We thank you that you've spoken to us through your word. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will help us to understand what it is you want to say to us today through your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me. We love you. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you have your worship guide with you, you'll see our Bible passage for today. Our Bible passage that we're looking at today is 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. So it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, 
Today we're starting a new series that we're going to be doing for the next few weeks leading up to Easter. And we're calling this series Asking for a Friend. You know, have you ever said, well, uh, I was wondering, or actually, no, my friend was wondering. You know, whenever you say my friend was wondering, you're usually asking something that you're embarrassed to ask. And so you're pretending that somebody else is wondering, but it's really you that's wondering it. And so we have to be honest. There's a lot of questions that we're embarrassed to ask. And the thing I want you to see is that there should not be any embarrassing questions. Any question that you have, it's okay to ask. One, because it helps you. And two, because it helps others that you talk to. And so as a church, this is a place where we should feel safe and secure asking these questions and not embarrassed and humiliated saying, this question troubles me, and I don't really understand the question, and I don't really understand the answer. So we're going to look, you know, we can't go through every single question that we have, but one of the big questions that we're going to be looking at today is, is Jesus really the only way to God? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Think about it. There are over, we don't know exactly how many different religions there are in the world, there's at least thousands. I've read that there's at least 4,000 different religions in the world. So there's a lot of different belief systems about life and about God out there. And yet, Jesus, what did Jesus say? In John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So naturally, that brings up some confusion in us, right? Because we say, if there's thousands of religions in the world, could Jesus really be the one way to God? Is that really possible? Can we really believe that without being narrow-minded? Is Jesus really the only way to know God, to experience God, to have life with God? Our passage today shows us that the answer is yes. Yes, he is the only way to know God and to have life in God. But I want you to see that this passage is not saying that that's bad news. We think, oh, one chance in thousands to know God and experience God. No, that's not how to look at it. Once we look at this passage and see what it's saying to us, we'll see that this is actually very, very very good news. In verse 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. In other words, through Jesus, we experience the new life that God wants for us. Through Jesus, we can have that and experience that. So that's what we're looking at today, is that new life that we can experience in God through Jesus. So what does our passage teach us about this new life in God? Well, one, it teaches us who this life is available to. Two, it teaches us how this life is available. And three, it teaches us why this life is available. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Who this life is available to, how this life is available, why it's available. And as we look at all three of those, I'm going to give you a key word. I'm going to point out a verse and give you a key word to help you understand what our passage is saying to us about Jesus being the way, the truth, 
and alive. So the first thing we're looking at is who is this life available to? Well, look at the beginning of verse 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. What, what is that first word that you read in that verse? Can you all say it with me? Everyone. Some of your translations might say whoever, but the idea is everyone. Now, one of the big arguments or objections that people might have against Christianity is they might say, well, isn't Christianity exclusive? Isn't Christianity exclusive? Only certain people get to go in. If God is loving, like you say he is, why wouldn't he let everyone in? But this says that everyone can come in. Is Christianity exclusive? Yes. But it is the most inclusive exclusivity imaginable. Let me explain it to you this way. This room right here, this is our Bible study room. And this is our kitchen. So this room, who is allowed in this room? Everyone is allowed in this room. Why is there nobody in this room right now? Because nobody has gone through the door. So in a sense, this room is inclusive because everyone is allowed in. But in another sense, it's exclusive because only those who go through the door can go into the room. Now, what if I put a sign up here that said, only people who have been members for 15 or more years can enter. Now, that would be exclusive. Some of you would not problem with that. You can still go in here. I couldn't go in here. I couldn't go in here because this door would only be for certain people. It wouldn't be for everyone. But as it is, there's no sign right there, which means that every one of us can go into that room if we choose to. Now think about what Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 7 through 9, he said, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate. Another word for gate is door. Some of your translations might say door. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. I am the door. Whoever enters, did you hear that? Whoever, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. He didn't say these few sheep can come in and enter. He said, whoever enters through me will find life, will find pasture. This is for everyone. Life with God is a room that everyone is invited into. But in order to get into a room, you have to go through a door. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the door. And you can go into the room because you have a door. Now, why did I say that this is good news? There's one door. Why is that good news? Because thank God that there is a door. Without Jesus, there wouldn't be a door. If we said, I want to go in that room, but I can't because there's no opening, we couldn't go into the room. But because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, we have a door to walk through. So yes, Christianity is exclusive, but it's the most inclusive exclusivity. It's not only these people can come through, it's everyone who comes 
to my son Jesus can enter into life with me. Everyone, that's who life is available to. But the next question is, how is this life available? How is this life available? Well, look at the beginning of verse 6. He says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. So the key word for um, who is this life available to was everyone. The key word for how is this life available is that word came. Came. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Now, when people say Jesus can't possibly be the only way to God. There's people, a lot of people, that say that. Now, when people say that, it's because they fundamentally don't understand who Jesus is. Do you realize that? When they say Jesus can't be the only way to God, they don't realize who Jesus is. When they say Jesus can't be the only way to God, who do they think Jesus is? They think that Jesus is just some guy that God said, um, that guy. That guy is going to teach about me. That guy is going to go to the cross. But Jesus is not just some guy. As long as you think Jesus was just a good teacher or somebody that died on the cross, yes, he was those things, but he's not just those things. As long as you think that he's just some guy, you won't understand the meaning of him coming to us. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God himself coming to us. Now that's totally different than just some guy coming to point to God. Now this is God coming to us. Timothy Keller, he put it this way, and this has been such a helpful quote for me to understand who Jesus is and what he came for. He says, the founders of every major religion in the world said, I'll show you how to find God. That's what they're... The founder of every major religion in the world said, I'll show you how to find God. But Tim Keller says, Jesus said, I am God who has come to find you. Do you see how that's so different than every other religion or belief system out there? Jesus isn't just some guy that we have to go to. Jesus is God coming to us. Can you see why it doesn't make sense to say, I believe in God I'm close to God. I know God. I have a relationship with God. And yet when he comes down to you, say, no, I don't believe in you. I reject you. That doesn't make any sense. You can't say you have a relationship with someone if when they come to you, you reject them. That's not possible. You know, this is hard to believe. But it was about three years ago, around uh, April of 2018, um, when I applied to uh, a certain place called Lighthouse Baptist Church, and I sent off my resume, and I got a call from Trish saying, "Hey, uh, we uh, we like your resume. We'd like for you to come down and interview with us." And so I came to Meridian, and I sat down, and I met some of you in that interview. And I sat with the pastor search committee, and I sat down, and we got to know each other a little bit, and then I went home. And then I was called, and y'all said, hey, we'd like for you to come and, you know, uh, preach a sermon. So I did, and then I went back home, and then I got another call saying, hey, we'd like for you to come and preach in view of a call. So I came and preached in view of a call, and y'all voted, and you voted for me to be 
your pastor. That was one of the best days of my life. That was just amazing. And it continues to be one of the best days of my life because through that day, because of that day, I've gotten to know y'all and become closer to you and develop friendships and relationships with you to the point that we're a family. And I have experiences and memories that I wouldn't have unless you had accepted me when you interviewed me. If I came here, if I came here and you said, well, thanks for coming, but we're going to go in a different direction, that'd be fine. There's other pastors out there that God could supply to you. But I wouldn't have got to know you, and you wouldn't have got to know me. Now, you can say, I know Cody all I want, but if I come to you and you reject me and say, leave, you can't say you have a relationship with me. You just can't. So if God comes to you, and it's one thing to reject me as your pastor. There's plenty of other pastors. But to reject God coming to you, that's an entirely different thing. Because if you reject God coming to you, there's no other God to come to you. What does God say in the Bible? He says, I am the Lord. There is no other God besides me. What are we doing when we reject Jesus? Well, John put it himself in John chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. When he talks about when Jesus came into the world, he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's the life of the world. Which means that whoever believes in him has life and has light. But if you reject him, how can you expect to have anything but darkness if you reject the one light of the world? How can you expect that? But the good news is you can have light and you can have life, not because you were good enough, but because light and life through Jesus has come to you. So how can we have life? Because life came to us. But our passage also shows us why this life is available. Why is this life available? Look with me in verses 11 through 12. So in verses 11 through 12, it says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So what's the key word in this verse? Circle that word, given. Given. Given is the key word for us to understand why this life is available. When people say there are other ways to God besides Jesus, you know what they don't realize? It's not just that they don't understand who Jesus is. It's that they don't understand the predicament that they're in. They don't realize how lost and helpless they are. 
if we say there are plenty of ways to get to God, that assumes that we can get to God. It doesn't realize how much help we need. If we say, you know, uh, just believe this or just believe that, we're saying I can do certain things. I can do certain good things. You know, I've heard people say, you know, my friends aren't believers, but they're pretty good people. So surely they know God and surely they can have a relationship with God. We're putting all of our faith, not in Jesus, but in our works, in our righteousness, in our deeds. But what's the problem with that? What does Isaiah say about our righteous deeds? In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, he says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a reef, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. If you are trusting in anything other than Jesus for life with God, what are you trusting in? You're trusting in filthy rags. You're trusting in filthy rags. So this means that our new life in God is not about what we can give God, filthy rags. It's about what God can give us and what has God given us. His son. His son. We can't give him enough to be with him, but he can give us enough. And what does he give? Himself. He gives us himself. But like any gift, like any gift, it only truly benefits you if you do what? If you accept it. A gift doesn't do you any good if you don't accept it. Imagine if you're on uh, a huge ship and imagine it's stormy, it's windy and wavy. You're rocking back and forth and all of a sudden you're standing a little too close to the edge and you fly over and you fall off the boat. And the boat, of course, is trying to get to you, but it's too windy for the sails to be able to get to you. And it's too windy and weighty and stormy for you to swim back to the boat. You can't get to the boat no matter how hard you try. But the boat can get to you if what? If they give you a life preserver. If they throw out a life preserver to you, you can take hold of it. But that's just the thing. That life preserver won't do you any good unless you do what? unless you take hold of it, unless you accept it. It won't do you any good if you sit out there in the water and say, "Uh, that's so exclusive for me to reach out and take that lifeboat, that life preserver. No, of course it's exclusive, but it's for you. Take hold of it, grab onto it, accept it, because it won't help you unless you do. Do you remember what happened when Peter and the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water beside him as they were buffeted by the winds and the waves on their boat and they couldn't get to their destination. They saw Jesus walking past them. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. And so what did Jesus say? He said, come. So Peter, what did he do? He stepped out. Whoa. I've never been able to step on water before, but... Okay, took another step, and took another step. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm walking towards Jesus. But then what does it say happened? Peter noticed, focused on, looked at the winds. 
And what happened to Peter? Peter, he took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. He sank. And what did he do when he sank? He said, Lord, save me. And what happened? It says immediately Jesus reached out for him. But you know what? Jesus reached out for him and saved him. But what did Peter need to do in order to be saved? He needed to reach out for the one who was reaching for him. If Jesus reached out for him and Jesus reaches out for us, if Jesus reached out for him and said, no, then Jesus could reach all he wanted, but it's up to Peter to take hold of the one taking hold of him. And it's the same for us. Through Jesus, God himself is reaching out for us. I've said it over and over again, but that word grace, it literally means to extend yourself towards someone. And through Jesus, God is extending his hand to us, reaching out to take hold of us. But it won't do us any good if we don't accept it, if we don't take hold of him. But you might say, well, I'm not like Peter. I'm not drowning. But that's not true. All of us who are alive know that we're drowning. Why? Because we live in the world. A world full of sinful desires. A world full of anxiety. A world full of troubles and worries. And we all know that none of us makes it out of this world alive. But we don't have to drown. We don't have to die. Why? Because through Jesus, God is reaching out for us. And what does that mean for us? Why is that good news? Because in verse 5, it says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You don't have to drown. Why? Is it because you can get to the boat? No. It's because a life preserver has been thrown to you. Jesus has walked out to you, reached out, given himself to you. So you can give yourself to him. Now, I'm going to read you some of the more confusing verses in this passage. When I was reading them earlier, you probably thought, what in the world is John talking about? I know I did, but let's look at them. Verses 6 through 10. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. What? That's so weird. What is he talking about? Well, sometimes it helps us understand what they're saying to just paraphrase it. And essentially, what John is saying, the paraphrase of that, is John is saying that Jesus is how God has come to us and how he has given himself to us. But in these verses, John is saying, you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take my word for it. But you should take God's word for it. You should take God's word for it. 
Because it's not just me saying that Jesus is the Son of God. It's God himself saying that Jesus is the Son of God. John says, by the water and the blood and the Spirit, God shows us and tells us that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. By what? Water, blood, spirit. Now, we all know what the spirit is, the Holy Spirit. What are the water and the blood? What could he be talking about? Well, one idea is that John could be talking about Jesus's baptism and crucifixion. So think about this. How would baptism show that Jesus is the Son of God? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. You see what happened when Jesus was baptized? The Spirit agreed with the water that what? Jesus is the Son of God. Now what happened at the crucifixion? When Jesus was crucified, how does that show that he's the Son of God? Well, in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, it says, When the centurion, when the Roman centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said what? He said, Surely this man was the Son of God. In both instances, when Jesus was baptized and when he was crucified, the Spirit revealed to the world, and by doing so, God revealed to the world, and God testified that this truly is my Son. And the Spirit ultimately revealed that Jesus is God's Son by what? Raising him from the dead. You see how the baptism and the crucifixion both are God's way of telling us that Jesus is who he said he was the whole time. In other words, these things validated Jesus, which means what? Which means that Jesus shouldn't be just considered another religion. No, he's a way. He's the truth and a life. And if you don't take my word for it, and if you don't take John's word for it, John says, at least take God's word for it. Because he himself has attested that my son Jesus is the only way. And if God himself says that to us, what does John say? He says, we listen to what people say. If we listen to what people say, we really should listen to what God says. And if we say that Jesus isn't the son of God, we're not just saying, I have a different opinion than God. We're saying, God, you're a liar. You're not telling the truth. And of course, we know that God always tells the truth. So if he tells us, this is my son and he's the way, we should listen. We should listen to that. But what else could John possibly mean by the water and the blood? When he talks about the water and the blood, what else could he possibly mean? Well, John R.W. Stott, in his commentary on 1 John, he points out something really interesting. He says, Water and blood, which occur together in some of the Levitical rituals, are intelligible symbols of purification and redemption. So what is he saying? He's saying, in the Old Testament, 
we see water and blood used in sacrifices for the purpose of purifying and redeeming. Now think about this. When Jesus was crucified and they went around breaking the legs of those on the crosses, because of course, the only way to keep from suffocating on the cross is to hold yourself up. So when you break their legs, I can't hold myself up anymore and I suffocate. So as they're going around and doing this, it says that when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Blood and water. When Jesus gave himself on the cross, what was he doing? He was purifying us. He was redeeming us. How? Was he making a sacrifice? No, not just a sacrifice. The sacrifice. Jesus. He was making the sacrifice to purify us and redeem us. And so Jesus is the only way we can be saved because he made the only sacrifice that can save us. Do you see that? Does that make sense? We can't say there are other ways to God because Jesus made the only sacrifice that can create a way for us to be with God. It's the only way. But that is good news because he gave himself to us. We don't deserve that sacrifice, but he made the sacrifice that we need. And because he gave himself to us, we can now give ourselves to him. Why? Because our life comes from his death. Our life. We say, I I want the life of God. I want to be with God. That's great. But it can only come through his death. And thank God he was willing to do that for us. To give that up for us. So that we can gain and have him. Life comes from death. Elizabeth Elliot put it this way. She said, life comes out of death. I bring God my sorrows and he gives me his joy. I bring him my losses and he gives me his gains. I bring him my sins. He gives me his righteousness. I bring him my deaths and he gives me his life. But the only reason God can give me his life is because he gave me his death. Let's pray. Lord, the only reason you could give me your life is because you gave me your death. That's the only way I could have it. And thank you, God, for doing that, for laying your life down for us. God, sometimes we can't believe that there's just one way, one truth, and one life. But God, we should be grateful that there's not zero way, zero truth, zero life. God, you've given us a way. How amazing is that? God, I pray that we wouldn't just keep it to ourselves. We would share it with the world. We would be patient with the world because this is hard for us to understand how much more those who don't have your spirit to understand. God, thank you for being patient with us as we ask you these questions. Can Jesus really be the only way? 
And God, we thank you that Jesus isn't just some God. Jesus is you coming down to us. And because you've come down to us, Lord, I pray we wouldn't reject you, but that, God, we would accept you. We would welcome you as the King that you are, the Lord that you are, the Savior that you are. You made the sacrifice that we need to purify us and redeem us. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.